Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. We're continuing on with this theme through our Advent series, which is a little bit different because we're we're bouncing around to a couple of different passages. Okay, last year, if you'll remember, we went through the Sermon on the Mount during the season of Advent. This year is a little bit different because last week we were in Isaiah, and this week we find ourselves in Hebrews. And so we're kind of floating around to various Christmas texts and leaning into them in this effort to like know Jesus more, and, like worship Jesus more. Um, And so in doing so, there is this theme that we are tracing through our series in these select texts, okay? So um, if you're a note taker, I gave you this last week, but I would encourage you to kind of continue in this as we work our way through. Um, In the incarnation of Jesus, in the incarnation of Jesus, we observe the arrival of our rescuer. Who's our rescuer? You guys are smart people. Okay, wait. Okay, let's try this one more time, all right? Because that was really bad. All right, so um, we know who our rescuer is. Who's our rescuer? Jesus. Jesus, amen, right? We, we observe the arrival of our rescuer and with him, hope, peace, joy, and love as we live in longing expectation for the world to come, right? We are of the Christian position that this world is not it, right? Um, If you're here this morning and you look out and you go, man, like this is my best life now. It gets no better than this, right? Um, We have good news for you. And that is that this world is not all um, that is offered to us, but there is is, uh, this, this eternal kingdom that is laid out with an eternal king. We talked a lot about this last week, that being Jesus. And we are invited into, um, called into citizenship within this kingdom through the sacrifice of our rescuer, who is Jesus. Man, you guys are, we're really, we're knocking on all cylinders now. I feel like we're moving the right direction. This morning, we transition into the letter to the Hebrews. Now, again, because we are doing selected texts, it's helpful to give a little bit of insight, a little bit of context into uh, the various letters or books that we're, that we're leaning into during this season. Um, but I'm not going to spend a ton of time because we're not going to be in Hebrews next week, okay? And so let me give you a, a little bit of an insight into the book of Hebrews. Raise your hand if you've ever read through the book of Hebrews before. A few of you. Great. So this may be old information. If you haven't, um, may this be new and encouraging. In the letter to the Hebrews, we find a letter whose author is not clear. That's why when we talk of it, you will hear it often referred to as the letter to the Hebrews, right? We don't talk about like Paul's letter to the Galatians or, or, you know, Paul's letter to, to Timothy. We don't use the same type of language. We talk of, um, the, the letter to the Hebrews because we don't exactly know who, uh, who authored this particular letter. Although we do know that they knew Timothy as well as the audience to whom they are writing. Interestingly enough, at its core, Hebrews is a beautiful letter centering on the good news of redemption for struggling sinners. If you find yourself here this morning struggling, well acquainted with the reality that you too are a sinner in need of grace, and the letter to the Hebrews offers hope, it extends extends hope to you and I. 
As perhaps you've realized this morning, we are coming into a, what I believe to, to be, lesser engaged Christmas text, but one that is rich. Right, one that is, is rich in its focus on the relationship between the humanity of Christ and his deity. Underscoring it all is our need for rescue, which leads us into Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, where the author teaches us how through the flesh and death of Christ, Coupled with his resurrection, Jesus destroys the devil, opening the door to freedom from fear for the oppressed. All for this purpose. So that through an understanding of the, of the humility of Christ, his people, you and, and I, might live fearlessly. That we might live fearlessly and that we might die fearlessly holding tight to the finished work of our king who identifies with us, saves us from sin and death and delivers us to himself by grace through faith. Now that is a loaded statement, right? You're sitting here and you're going, I don't know that I caught all of that. We're going to spend the next 35 minutes or so working that direction. So, so hang with me. Three observations considering the connection between Hebrews 3 and the coming of Christ this Advent season. Number one, Christ identifies with us. Christ identifies with us in our struggle Christ identifies with us. Number two, Christ is victorious for us. So not only does he identify with us in our struggle, but he is victorious for us. And then finally, number three, Christ delivers us. Three observations from Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15. Number one, Christ identifies with us in our struggle. Number two, Christ is victorious for us. And number three, Christ delivers us. (coughs) Let's dive right in because I feel like I've got so many miles on my voice this morning and we've got some ground to cover. So observation number one, in our struggle, Christ identifies with us. If you think about it, there are countless differences between you and the person next to you. Like there are countless differences between you and the person sitting in front of you or behind you or on the other side of the room as you. Your gender or maybe your race, whether or not you're single or or married, your preference in music, sports allegiance, your political preference, Hobbies that you have, passions that you possess, or style. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a skeptic to the Christian faith. And as a result, you rightly assume that most of those around you follow after Jesus. For you, this is a point of differentiation. This person is a Christian and I am not. 
These are all differences that only begin to scratch the surface. Yet in spite of our differences, there is one overarching commonality that we all share. And that is this. We are all human. We all know what it's like to have joy. We all know what it's like to possess wonder and gratitude. We know what it's like to be tired. We know what it's like to possess this feeling that the weekend has passed by too quickly. We all know excitement. And to all my Georgia fans, disappointment. We all know what it's like to be sad. We know what it's like to experience pain and loss. We all know what it's like to be afraid. With this in mind and intimately aware of our need for rescue, hear me here. God, in compassion and kindness, condescends in the person of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means this. It means that Jesus steps out of the fellowship that he enjoys with the Father. That he steps out of the fellowship that he enjoys with the Spirit to step into a world that had so oftentimes rejected him. Christ puts off certain divine rights that he possesses as God in order to put on skin. He steps down, right, from a position of power, choosing to embrace the work of a servant sent to save his people. Let's go one step further. Jesus, in fact, steps into your anguish. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to consider for a moment the reality of the throne room of God. That in and of itself is somewhat challenging, isn't it? Because we live here, right? And we, we are surrounded by these tangible things, things that we, can, that we can touch and that we can understand because we have experienced them, we have seen them. But right now, as we are seated in this room, there is an occupied throne in heaven. A throne occupied by our king. Our resurrected Jesus, who is at this moment seated at the right hand of the Father. I want you to picture this. He's seated there and he's 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 permeating with radiance. He's permeating with, with glory. It's just it's just coming off of him.
He is at this moment knowledgeable of eternity past. Right? He, he is able to recount the world's creation as though it were last Wednesday's coffee date with a friend. At this very moment, at this very moment, he is able to recall personal memories of what he went through here on earth. Not only that, but what you are going through as he is able to identify with you. This is the beauty of Christmas and the subject of Hebrews 3.14. And so with that picture in mind, I want you to now open your eyes. Right, we've, we've moved, right? We've, we've moved location to, to some extent, right? We've imagined this very real place and we've drawn out the uniqueness of it and we've drawn out the glory of it as best as we can in the time allotted. And then we open our eyes and here we are. Hebrews chapter three, verse 14. The author to the Hebrews writes this. (coughs) Excuse me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. The the author to the Hebrews here is saying this, that that Jesus puts off certain elements of his authority to take on flesh and blood in order to enter into human history. Amid the most humble of circumstances, in the form of a baby, as one altogether new, simultaneously human and divine. And because this is true, Jesus is now, right now, able to empathize with the human condition. Why? Well, because he's familiar with it. As one well-known pastor stated of the Christmas season, Christmas is about God coming across the tracks. It's about God coming across the tracks to the wrong part of town, not as a big shot, but as one of us. To accomplish something indescribably beautiful, to save us and to sanctify us and to strengthen us. Be not confused because of sin. Because of sin, the Imago Dei, that is the image of God that we possess as those who are created in his image, is but a shadow of what it ought to be. The, The image of God that we possess in ourselves is but a shadow of what it ought to be. Why is this true? Why is this a reality? Well, because of sin, Genesis chapter 3. The fall of humanity, our love, our faithfulness, our compassion, our holiness, our longing for justice, no longer mirror our creator as they should because our flesh is broken. Your flesh, wake up, is broken. 
Jesus takes on the flesh. Jesus takes on flesh, and in doing so, he familiarizes himself with our state, yet he does so without sin. He is familiar with human struggle. He identifies with the human condition, and yet in doing so, he remains perfectly sinless. So that through his life... And through his death, these qualities might be reformed and strengthened in those in whom he would rescue. If you're a Christian here this morning, I want you to hear this. Eyes up here, right? Front of the class, everyone. Your faithfulness to the Lord and and your faithfulness to others, husbands to your wives and wives to your husbands, neighbor to your neighbors is a testimony to the work of the incarnate Christ in you. Christian, your compassion extended towards those who are least deserving, those who have wronged and sought wickedness against you, is a testimony to the work of Christ in you. Because this is true, As opposed to to simply offering compassion towards another internally without any type of external action, Christian, we make moves towards one another. Why are we practicing the passing of peace during this Christmas season? During this season of Advent, why are we practicing this? Well, because it's a beautiful picture of what God is accomplishing through the person and work of Jesus as he extends peace in and through Christ to his rebellious creation. As a result, Christian, hear me, this is so important and this is so practical. Understanding that the Imago Dei within us is scarred by sin, but that the spirit in us is reforming these qualities to glorify the Lord, we don't stop at internalizing compassion and peace extended to another without any type of outward action. Instead, we, we move towards other people. We move towards individuals, right? Offering a hand of peace. Why? Well, because God has publicly and radically acted to extend a hand of peace to you. These are just a a few examples of the way in which the life of the Christian is one of constant reform. We call it sanctification. The ways in which God, through our through our lives and our interactions with one another and our engagement with him is bringing us into conformity to the image of Jesus. He's reforming the Imago Dei in us. Christ identifies with us. He becomes incarnate. He enters into creation. He takes on flesh. That's what the author to the Hebrews is saying here in chapter two, verse 14. And now the spirit at work within the people of God is bringing us into conformity to the image of Christ. 
Does that make sense? Are we all following along here, right? Why do we lean into and engage these practices the way in which we do? Why do we submit ourselves to the authority of God's word as we do? Because there's this understanding, right, that God has, has loved us and he has sought us and he has extended a hand of peace to us. He has called us into fellowship with himself and he has done so through the incarnation of Jesus. Christ identifies with us in our struggle. He says to us through the incarnation, I love you. He says to us through the incarnation, I have come for you. You are precious to Christ. You're precious to Christ. He's loved you and he sought you and he's, And he saved you. And now you are strengthened in Christ to love and to value one another. Christ identifies with us and now we can expect that in this Christian life we will, as a result of circumstance and suffering, joy in the Father, comfort in his word, begin to identify increasingly more and more with him. Isn't it interesting the way that that works? He identifies with us and then he calls us into this life in which we are able to, from one degree to the next, be able to identify ourselves with him. We can say, yes, Jesus suffered. I'm familiar with suffering. I'm acquainted with suffering. I flee not from suffering, but I pray for boldness in the midst of it. Not only does Christ identify with us in our struggle, but he is victorious for us. Now, if we stop at point one, like it's like, man, that is stellar, right? Like that's really comforting that Christ identifies with me in my struggle. But beyond that, what am I supposed to do? What am I to hold on to? Well, we hold on to this reality that the author to the Hebrews drives us towards, that Christ is victorious and he is victorious for us. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Christ Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death... He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. We see here that the death of Christ not only makes possible our forgiveness, but it destroys the one who has power over death. Right? This is why God sent his, his son to display his goodness and holiness as he destroys the enemy and consequently the fear that comes along with Satan's Paper mache crown, burned to ash by the white hot flame of Christ's victorious resurrection. For the Christian, the terror of death is trampled. For the Christian, the fear of death, the terror of death, one that we are super familiar with, (coughs) excuse me, is trampled under the feet of Jesus. 
For the Christian, our fear is torn down. It's done away with. It's it's cast off by him who, Philippians 2.20, has shown genuine concern for your welfare. Listen to what Jesus says in John 11, verses 25 and 26. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen. The one who believes in me will live. Amen? Amen? Even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Men, as Christians, we belong not to ourselves or to the world, but we belong to God. We have been purchased through the imperishable blood of Jesus. We die to ourselves every day, confident that in Jesus we live, that he has been victorious in our place. We live as a people without fear of the end because we know that when this life passes away, And we find ourselves before God, which we will be not confused. We might boast in Christ. That we might boast in Christ, our victorious king. Kevin DeYoung said it like this. He says, praise God that he sent his son, that being the father, right? That the father sent his son, not just to share in our weakness, not simply to identify with us amid struggle. That's point one. And point one is a good point, (laughs) okay? We are not devaluing point one, but we are saying if point one is not followed very closely by point two, then we are missing something. He sent his son not just to die in our weakness, but to bear our iniquities. Praise God that the suffering servant was not just wounded for our identification, not just to say, you have been wounded, therefore I too shall be wounded, but for our transgressions. And praise God that the son of man came not just to be a restoration of our humanity, but a ransom for our sin. Praise God. Praise God that our perfect brother shared not just in our humanity, but shared in our humanity that he might become a high priest and the servant of God, in the service of God, a high priest who offered himself once for all as our eternal redemption. Hebrews 3 does something really incredible. Okay, Hebrews 2, I'm sorry, but it continues on into Hebrews 3. You can read on through Hebrews 3 and it's there too. Hebrews 2 calls us something into something really incredible. And it is this, it is, it is a, a passionate celebration of the gospel of Jesus. Hebrews 2, the verses that we have have read already this morning, call us into a passionate celebration of the gospel of Jesus. Now, in that, there has to be some consideration of how we identify passion, right? 
But, but certainly, like, the, the identifying characteristic of passion ought to be present for those who are familiar with the realities of the good news of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 calls each one of us into a passionate celebration of the gospel of Jesus. He who vindicates us as he lives the life that we could not live before dying the death, that we could not die to purchase a pardon that would forever elude our grasp. John Stott said it like this, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. The reality of, of Hebrews 2.14 births within us. It causes this welling up within us. Are you familiar with this imagery of, the, of like welling up? I talked last week about how I'm a, I'm a farmer now, which maybe you, you missed that or if you were here, I'll kind of elaborate. Not only, not only on the outside, like outside of my home and my farming, but I'm farming plants inside now. Is that the same type of appropriate language? And I'm not, I'm not sure. No. Okay. So I'm growing plants inside now. Um, and I'm learning kind of like what this looks like as I go. But as you, as you water these plants, you, you water them and, and you don't really see where the water goes. It just goes into the dirt, right? It's kind of the nature of, yeah, we won't get into it. Right. But you, you water and then it just begins to like, all of a sudden it's not going into the dirt anymore. It's just, it's just sitting on top. It's welling up. It's coming over. The, the picture that we are, are being drawn into as we consider the good news, the glorious news of, of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 is that as we wrestle with and, and come to this realization of the good news of, of Christ's identification with us in order that he might ultimately redeem us, bring us into fellowship with himself as he pays our sin debt is this welling up of gratitude. Right? The more we say it, the more we talk about it, the more we see it, it just begins to come up. It just begins to, to fill us and then to just overflow out of us. As we gather in the presence of the people of God this morning, right? you come in here after a long, hard, difficult week. I haven't talked to all of you, but I've talked to some of you. And I know that, that weeks are, are long and hard. We had sickness in our house this week. And so, in fact, this week, I am super familiar with that. We come in, and in each and every element of our service, we are being, being poured. Uh, we're having the gospel poured into us. Or we're having the, the realities of the, of the benefits of the resurrection of Jesus poured into us so that when we come to the end of our time, it looks not like, man, I'm really ready to go. But it looks more like, man, I needed every ounce of what we just experienced. And as we come and we take of the, of the elements Right, as, we, as we give, as we sing, it's not like our service just begins to like come to a conclusion, right? That it's just winding down at this point and leveling off and we're back out into the world. But as the people of God having the gospel poured into us, we are overflowing. We are building to a climax, Okay, And that's in terms of the gathered people of God. We are not concluding things, but we are building to a climax, the work has not even begun yet. 
right? You're like, man, song two, that was as best as I got. No, no, that's just not acceptable. I'm sorry. That's just not what it looks like to have the gospel poured into us. The gospel lifts us up, right? As Christ, as Christ holds us, right? He holds us up and he, he fills us with his spirit and he gives cause for joy and celebration and song. Man, we're not, we're not done We're building. Not only does Christ identify with us before purchasing victory for us, but he delivers us. Look with me again at verse 14 as we transition into verse 15. For the sake of context and the fact that we only have two verses this week, which like take a picture, right? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Through the immaculate birth. The perfect life of Jesus, his substitution in our place at the cross, and the hope of the resurrection, Jesus sets us free. He is victorious for us, and then he delivers us. He sets us free. Well, from what? Well, he sets us free from fear as he takes all of our fear on himself. He sets us fear from bondage. As he takes all of our slavery on himself. He takes our punishment. As he takes on himself, on his body, at the cross, all of God's wrath. Giving to the father a sufficient sin offering, that being himself, and to us his righteousness. Mark Devers said it like this, when a man knows he may breakfast on earth and take supper in heaven, temptations must lose their power. What is he saying? He's saying that the temptation has has no rule over us, that the fear of death has no power over us, that we can wake up and we can say, man, like breakfast at the kitchen table. And dinner in heaven. And there is no fear. We trust in the sovereign plan and purposes of God. We trust in his victory for us. We trust in his deliverance of us. Christ is victorious for us. Christ experiences victory over sin Death, hell, and the grave. He is delivered from the grave. And then he extends to his people righteousness that produces unparalleled hope. We are delivered. We are delivered people. We are victorious. Not because of the work of our own hands, but because of the work of Jesus. As we begin to to close things out, I want us to consider a a series of questions. 
Super practical. Okay. So I want you to really think about this. This is not just like, oh, here's some questions and like, great, Stellar Kirk, way to land that one well, right? This is like intentional. What would it look like to live with this perspective? Right, this, this perspective of Christ's identification with us, Christ's victory for us, and his deliverance of us. What would it look like to, in life, in life, in everyday life, live with this perspective? How would this approach to life and to death transform the ways that we live to glorify God, free from guilt, free from bondage? Free from expectation and, and aspirations in this life, currently devoid of gospel purpose. Whoa, that's a heavy statement, isn't it? Aspiration and purpose in my life, devoid of gospel purpose. Living with this type of mentality encourages us to, to consider that. Right? To, to ask hard questions and to say, okay, like what are my aspirations and in what ways has the gospel informed said aspiration? What does it look like to live free of expectation as the world defines it and begin to live within the economy of God? What would it look like to to look to Christ and encourage, respond to the tempter, get away from me. You have nothing for me. You are dead and the king and keeper of my soul reigns. Let me tell you what it would look like. Our worship would be sweeter. It would would taste sweeter, right? Our worship would be sweeter. Our marriages would be stronger. Our relationships be stronger. Sin would be bitter. And the word of God would taste to us as sweet. We're not done yet though, right? Gospel engagement and conversation would not be limited to an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but would exist as an ever-present consideration in every relationship and circumstance. We are set free in Christ. We are set free in Christ to engage in this type of life. In our weakness, his strength is put on display for the world to see and to marvel at. Now I want you to personalize it. And I want you to think what it would look like for for you, right? To take what we have just said and to see your perspective totally transformed in light of what we read here in Hebrews chapter 2. In response to God's word, we we move. Okay? We move. We move. We move out of our seats. We move out of our seats with one another towards Tables, we move out of our seats with one another towards a, a box. We move out of our seats with one another towards the world. We come and we go reflecting on the generosity of God to us in Christ. 
right? The reality of the resurrection and the promise of his second advent. We recall the kindness of God and the price of our redemption. We eat together at these tables as a people of God possessing his spirit in anticipation of a time in which we will again eat together in the presence of Christ. As Christians, we remind one another of the commission of Christ to the church, his bride with the support of his people, living self-sacrificing lives, giving, giving to, to support the ministry of this local body, to make disciples, to love and to support those in our community in need, in all things desiring gospel advancement. We are preparing now to respond in these ways. We come to the tables and we take. We go to a box and we give. And then we go into the world to share. If you're here this morning outside of the faith, it is my prayer that your position would be changed as you consider the kindness of God. As you witness the kindness of God through his people living faithful lives of obedience to his call to take this meal, to give and to go, proclaiming this good news, supporting one another and pursuing after others. Christ identifies with us amid our struggle. You're not alone. Christ is victorious for us. And he delivers us through his death and resurrection. Let's reflect on these sweet truths as we prepare to come, as we prepare to sing. Let's pray together.